They just shot it. A single missile fired by a jet fighter. See the smoke coming from it? Ended the brief spectacular life of the Chinese balloon. China's spy balloon. Indiana Congressman Andre Carson has been sounding alarm bells about these types of suspicious flying objects for years. Unidentified aerial phenomena are a potential national security threat, and they need to be treated that way. For far too long, this issue wasn't taken very seriously, and it was pretty much pushed aside and relegated to science fiction. What is curious is that many of these sightings have occurred around many of our military assets, our right. naval bases, our military installations. Carson is as focused on objects darting through the sky as he is on how he'd like to someday see us zipping along on the ground. My greater dream or goal, which I shared with President Obama, he had a similar goal as a Midwesterner, is to one day get a high-speed rail system from Indy to Chicago to Louisville or even St. Louis. Join us for a conversation with Indiana's longest-serving member of Congress, 7th District Representative Andre Carson, on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Deck. Andre Carson's path to Capitol Hill has Hoosier written all over it. Politics and public service are all he's ever known. Carson's grandmother, the late Indiana Congresswoman Julia Carson, whom he credits for shaping his views on education, public safety, and economic opportunity. And it gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome uh, Andre Carson, Congressman Andre Carson, the senior member of the Indiana Congressional Delegation, seventh full term in Congress to the Business and Beyond uh, podcast. Congressman Carson, uh, always great to great to see you and hear from you. Thanks for joining us. You as well. What a, what a tremendous honor. I finally made it here. Good to be here. <laughs> well, you know, as I was doing a little background, a little research, seventh full term. Yeah. In Congress, I, you know, to me, it seems like it was yesterday you won that special election to fill the seat of your your late grandmother. But seven full terms, you're the senior member of the Indiana congressional delegation. Does it seem like it's it's been that many years or does it seem like yesterday for you? It does not. Um, and, you know, interestingly, the way Congress is set up, I'm still a baby in Congress. So uh, <laughs> that's bizarre and some, uh, speaks to probably a reformation in the future in terms of the body. But uh it's a deep honor. It's a tremendous honor. I'm still one of the member, youngest members of, of the Hoosier delegation. So uh, I'm excited. Look, we, we, we've done some great work. We're able to work across the aisle. Uh, I'm working on some legislation with Greg Pence in the spirit of uh, being a Hoosier. And uh, it's a tremendous honor to serve. And, you know, our efforts are to bring back resources to the great Hoosier state. Uh, we're just under a billion dollars and we've already had several pieces of legislation signed into law in just a few years. So it's been a tremendous honor. Yeah, I want to ask you, I want to ask you about the uh, some of the topical news going on now with the, the Chinese spy balloon, the, the objects that have been shot down. But you mentioned reaching across the aisle. Uh, and I think that's a that's a really pertinent topic as well, because it seems like there's in generally speaking in Congress, there's doesn't seem to be as much of that anymore. Everything seems to be so divisive on both sides of the aisle. Do you see that sense that changing or or what needs to happen to, to make that change? 
Yeah, you know, there, there, there are pockets of, of change and there are committees where that kind of change takes place. Um, intelligence being one of them, I'm, I'm honored to sit on it. I'm, I'm also on the China Committee and, and the Transportation Committee. Transportation tends to be pretty universal and we're able to get some things done. And I've always enjoyed working with my colleagues across the aisle, especially Hoosiers. There was a time when you would look at C-SPAN and you'd see these very contentious debates but afterward, you know, folks were going out after work, dinner and drinks, and their families got together occasionally. And, you know, unfortunately, some folks would rather create divisions than than get things done and, and make controversial comments to get attention. Mm-hmm. But our focus has, and the president's focus, uh, I think, will be continue finding common ground. And, you know, we'll have disagreements, and sometimes those disagreements will be contentious, but the degree in which people are rewarded for pageantry and and provocations has gotten out of hand. Yeah, yeah. Our conversation is timely with uh, news regarding these objects being shot down from the skies, the Chinese spy balloon, the three unidentified uh, objects. And I know you, you're just out of of some briefings uh, on those topics. What can you tell us now about what we know and, and, and where things might go next? Well, no, I'm I'm glad you brought up this topic. Um, when 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 I became the head of the subcommittee on counterterrorism and and, and counterproliferation, um, we held the first public hearing on uh, UAPs in 50 years since Project Blue Book, and you know everyone had images of you know big-headed green figures that that we've all seen on television, but. Um, I don't think that you have to be a lover of science fiction to understand that this issue is important. We call them UAPs or unidentified aerial phenomena, which includes a number of unknown aerial objects that could be national security threats. So we're now seeing uh, the Chinese balloon and other unidentified objects kind of taking prominence right now. But, you know, the question becomes, are these objects from... Uh, a foreign adversary? Are they from a state actor, a non-state actor, uh, from the private sector, from some uh, tech giant who's experimenting with uh, the latest and greatest that he or she may want to sell to the U.S. government? You know, those things are compartmentalized, but I will say we still have to take China very seriously in this regard, as well as some of our other adversaries who collect information or attempt to regularly. Do at this point, and I know these are, are briefings uh, that are classified, but to, to the extent that you can give perspective, uh, there's been a lot of questioning, a lot of concern. You know, how much do we know? How much should we know? How much should the American people be be uh, uh, you know brought up to speed in terms of what's happening? What can you what can you tell you know, tell us at this point in terms of what we know uh, regarding these situations? Well, I mean, clearly, you know, there, there, there are rules and regulations as it relates to many of these objects and uh, having to have lights attached and, and certain components attached. But, but then there are other objects that don't produce heat signals. And, you know, there are rules as, that apply to the game uh, when you're talking about espionage and, 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 and spycraft. But when you're in commercial airspace, then it becomes extremely problematic for obvious reasons and many reasons. And so what what I'd like to tell the American public uh, and the Hoosier public is that 
you know, we are working, our committee, the intelligence committee, uh, is working with uh, the 16 intelligence agency, agencies, including the Department of Defense uh, and the Pentagon, as well as the White House, and making sure that the White House is, is, is clear about what's happening, the American people are kept up to date, but recognizing that our adversaries are listening to us in public forums and, and hearings, trying to detect clues that will give them deeper insights into our military stratagem and our intelligence operations across the world. Your reaction to the decision to not shoot down that Chinese spy balloon until it's mm-hmm. gone through the United States, traversed out into the the uh, the Atlantic Ocean, good, a good decision in your view? I think so. Without speaking out of school, um, uh, shooting down objects is isn't unusual. Uh, it, it, it's happened before, as you know. Um, I think whenever we could make strategic decisions to not impact Americans or human beings, for that matter, with debris that is often massive and 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 heavy and can cause casualties, I think those things have to be taken into consideration. But if you're looking at objects in you know the tundra or the upper peninsula in Michigan or some some wide space in Montana, then uh, our experts are 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 great at measuring trajectory and 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 where debris will fall in terms of bodies of water and land as well. But it's also suspicious when you have these objects flying over our military installations. And I think it's 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 calls for deep concern. And 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 while China is in denial and and pointing the finger at us, uh, we cannot let them off the hook, which is why I'm I'm open to supporting uh, banning TikTok off of you know government devices. Now, as a dad, uh, uh, that's a difficult uh, proposition when you're talking to a 16 year old trying <laughs> right. to convince her to remove. But that's a whole. I'd rather talk to Vladimir and the Ayatollah than to try to convince a 16 year old. But at the same time, we know that these applications and other devices have been used to spy on Americans. Yeah, yeah. So TikTok, uh, would you support other sanctions or actions against China? Based on that, this uh, incursion into our airspace, I'm open to all avenues um, that will bring the message home to China that we're not here to play. Absolutely not. I mean, China has an expansion agenda that will not benefit Americans in the long run. And my hope is that we can let them know that we mean business. Yeah. You mentioned the hearing uh, you had uh, last year on the unidentified uh, objects really created, uh, again, I think only the second time in in U.S. history, this is a, a an interest you have, a fascination you have that you really started as a teenager, right? T- talk true. about that. I thought that was interesting. That, that's true. Time Life magazine they had this series of books dealing with unknown phenomena, and at the time, I had a job, part time job. You know, my grandma was making me pay rent. I appreciate her for it now. But I was so fascinated because I grew up, you know, as a Star Wars fan and Battlestar Galactica fan and Star Trek, Star Trek. But so I wanted this this book series. So I didn't have enough money to get the entire series. It was like $100, $200. But the first book was free. And so I filled out the form out of a one, one like, I think it was Time magazine. And I sent it in the mail and they sent me the book. I still have the book somewhere. And the first book 
was uh, it had a, it had like a UFO on it. And I read that book religiously. And, you know, as I got older, I started looking at some of the works produced by MUFON and other civilian organizations. And when I entered into the intelligence space, those efforts deepened. But, you know, I obviously wanted to satisfy uh, the um, the questions we were getting throughout the years about these unidentified objects. And, you know, to the ability that the Pentagon was willing to talk about them, um, they were reluctant at first, but I commend Mr. Moultrie and others for showing up and bringing footage. And of course, uh, Chairman Schiff was very kind and, and and gracious in giving me that kind of freedom as the subcommittee chair on counterproliferation and counterterrorism to have this open hearing. And it was monumental. We had a few snickers from some colleagues, but those same colleagues were very intrigued, you know. And during that time on the committee, it was very contentious, very contentious uh, on both sides of the aisle. But we had a pretty good showing of members and and even more members who have expressed an interest to me personally about working together in a bipartisan fashion. I even heard that some senators on both sides of the aisle were upset because they wanted to conduct this, uh, similar hearings, but they were afraid of the stigma uh-huh. attached to this whole ordeal. And so I'm like, well, listen, it's me. I'm already getting accused of being a sleeper cell and everything else. I'm just <laughs> a Hoosier. Why not? And it worked out. So we're appreciative. Yeah. And you were concerned that you know, folks just simply weren't taking it very, very seriously. Do you sense now maybe with these recent situations that's beginning to change a little bit and, and maybe folks are taking a little little different view? No, that's great. Oh, absolutely. And 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 one of the things we wanted to deal with was really removing the stigma of reporting when you when, when when you see some sighting and even if that sighting is above your pay grade you know report the sighting and 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 let's get to some answers or get to the bottom of it without compromising our national security yeah you uh, what's what's taking up your time now i know you have uh, your your part of multiple uh, committees give us a a sense for a, a typical day if there is a typical day for andre carson out in uh, out in dc well you know um uh, my first commitment is to the great Hoosier state. You know, I'm in Indiana all the time. And, you know, when, when, when I am in DC, I'm, my, my, my thoughts are, what can I do to bring back resources for Hoosiers, obviously Americans. And so that work is largely done through the transportation and infrastructure committee. I sit on the aviation subcommittee, which deals with all things aviation, as as well as the rail subcommittee, <laughs> which deals with trains. And so my, my greater dream or goal, which I shared with President Obama, he had a similar goal as a Midwesterner, is to one day get a high-speed rail system from Indy to Chicago to Louisville or even St. Louis. I think it'll be monumental once we work around eminent domain issues. But we have existing tracks. So I've spoken to folks at Amtrak and CCS and other entities, and they're excited about it. But, you know, we've been able to do a lot with this infrastructure bill. Uh, and we're going to see, obviously, we're seeing the fruits of it. As much as I complain about the loop right now and, and 70 West and 70 East, I'm happy to say we fought for a lot of that money. And I'm glad that our our governor and our mayor are putting that money to good, to, to, to good use. Uh, but, but secondly, um, I've just been appointed to the what's what's known as the China Committee, and our objective is to deal directly with 
China's expansion efforts, be it economic, uh, be it in terms of the production of semiconductors, in which, you know, thankfully, our allies are working with us to thwart China's expansion and to really delve more deeply into some of our national security concerns that are directly connected to supply chain matters. And so that's why, you know, we've been trying to work with auto manufacturers specifically because during the chip shortage, we were obviously vulnerable because we were relying on semiconductors from China, which presents deeper problems as it relates to their expansion efforts in spying on Americans, amongst other things. And and, and finally, I think the committee wants to delve more deeply into what the Armed Services Committee does, as well as the Intel Committee does, and that is to look at China's espionage and counterterrorism and counterintelligence strategy as it relates to Americans and setting up beachheads. So I've been working with the FBI and, and wanting to work with local leaders in Indy and state government. Uh, the governor's office has been open to it, as well as the mayor's office in Indy, in terms of you know working with them as it relates to foreign businesses wanting to invest in the Hoosier state. We welcome it. We embrace it. But at the same time, we don't want these businesses to be fronts for uh, uh, foreign adversaries to set up beachheads in our state. It's unacceptable. We can't have it. And that work uh, bleeds over into the work on the Intelligence Committee. You know, the Democrats are now in the minority. And so I'm the ranking member of uh, the subcommittee uh, that oversees the CIA. So we're very busy. Three committees is pretty ambitious, but I'm still able to get home and spend some time with my daughter, constituents, and family. And it's all about the work-life balance right now. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned that high-speed rail has been talked about for a long time, connecting, you know, Chicago, Indy, Louisville, other other markets. A lot of people are very excited about that. It's been talked about for a long time. You really feel this is something that that can ultimately happen? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's low-hanging fruit for, for the great Hoosier state. I think it's a matter of connecting not only members of the delegation, but in, but in the region. So uh, I just co-founded, along with Debbie Dingell and, and, and other Midwesterners, the Heartland Caucus, which, which tends to be moderate in tone. I'm also a new Democrat as well as a progressive. But the Heartland Caucus wants to leverage our voting bloc, quite frankly, uh, because there's a growing sentiment that our beloved colleagues on the coasts uh, probably are overly represented on not only committees, but in terms of ranking memberships and chairships. And so what the Heartland Caucus is seeking to do is to give the Midwest, uh, the industrialized Midwest, greater leverage within the larger congressional uh, body. So when we have the most monumental transportation bill in American history, not only can we get that money, but we can make revolutionary investments that will increase tourism that will increase commerce and it will invite people to come see our great state to ultimately perhaps move and and make investments. You know, we're hoping, you know, Purdue's doing a great job and I think IU's doing a great job in so many of our colleges, but we want to retain that talent and keep them in Indiana. And how does that happen? It happens at the local level, happens on the state level, and it happens in Congress where we can work together in a way to keep those dollars in our state and make that investment. And I think high-speed rail it's a big part of it. 
Yeah. As you look at your district, give me your take on on things uh, here in Indianapolis. You know, downtown is certainly part of your domain. What's your assessment of the state of Indianapolis and uh, things that you would like to see uh, see happen here? Well, again, you know, I, I think Mayor Hong said it's done a great job as well as uh, Governor Holcomb in terms of getting us around and navigating through COVID. And in many ways, businesses are still reeling from COVID. I'm excited about the hotels that are being built in downtown Indy. We're still, as you know, better than I do, the amateur sports capital of the world. Uh, downtown is slowly coming back. Uh, we're seeing a few businesses pop up. We have a, a campaign office downtown. And, you know, whenever we're there, we're trying to support local businesses. We do events at these businesses. And I know it's going to take some time. And a lot of businesses shut down because of COVID and they left downtown. Many folks used it as an excuse to leave. I'm seeing more apartments come up downtown. I'd like to see more condos come up downtown. But I think slowly but surely, uh, these investments will yield great results. Look, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I don't go to other cities when I travel and not get a tinge of jealousy when I go to certain downtowns. But I'm also comforted when I go to our own downtown and I feel Hoosier hospitality. When people from other states, they talk about some of our restaurants in downtown Indy. And, you know, that gives me confidence. It gives me reassurance. But I always tell them, hey, there's more to come. And yeah. once I see cranes downtown, that's always positive. I tease Dan Parker and the mayor about it all the time. But I'm hoping to see more cranes as we see, you know, these hotels being built at Pan Am Plaza. I think that's going to be a, a great investment that will hopefully spur the economic growth that we're, we're searching for. Much more with Andre Carson uh, growing up in Indianapolis. We'll also want to talk certainly about his legendary grandmother, Julia Carson. That and much more when the Business and Beyond podcast Return. Stay with us. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank. All rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week 7th District Congressman Andre Carson. And uh, Andre, I know you've got your salad there, so you're good to go and you're going to get that nourishment. You're a busy guy out in out in D.C. But I'm interested in, uh, I mean, you're an indie guy. I mean, you know, you've got perspective that that few people have because you grew up here uh, and have lived here uh, for so many years. Talk about growing up. You grew up, I think you went to high school at, at uh, Tech, at Arsenal Technical High School. Near East Side, what did give give us uh, growing up in Indy? What it was like? Yeah, you know, I I I, I love tech. I, I graduated from tech, but mo- you know, a lot of people know me from Manual High School. Ah, okay. Yeah, the great Manual on the South Side. Uh, I actually went to junior high and high school on the South Side. I went to school seventy two Emma Donnan, and I went to Manual. 
I left and did a stint at Arlington High School. Shout out to Arlington. But I graduated from uh, Arsenal Tech, great school. And, you know, I, I, I spent my earlier years uh, at St. Rita. I was an altar boy, served under uh, the great father, Fitzgibbon, and and a few others. And it was a great experience. I remember at that time, because our, li- our, our library was so small, we had the bookmobile that would come to kind of supplement. And the first biography I ever read was a small biography about Dwight Eisenhower. Huh. Yeah. So I'm 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 a low-key fan of 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 Eisenhower's because of that that, that experience. But uh I was raised by my grandmother. My, my my mother was in and out, brilliant, you know, multiple graduate degrees, but she suffered from schizophrenia. And so that was challenging for her, especially when she wasn't compliant and really didn't know my dad growing up, didn't see him until I became an adult, really. And so that experience of being with my grandmother allowed me to not only watch her, but to watch her and and go with her because, you know, she was I was I was being raised by her, my great grandmother, who was alive at the time and kind of the community or the village. So uh, not only did I have the neighborhood and surrogate grandmothers who were also like, you know, probation officers as well in the neighborhood, but also going to. I remember going to uh, Columbus, Indiana. She she worked out there uh, at Cummins, and she would drop me off. These are different times. This is old school. She dropped me off at it, it was a, the mall. I think it's still there. It was called the Commons. Yeah, right downtown. Yeah, yeah. And she dropped me off at the Commons uh, while while she worked, and I was a kid, and I'd watch. Oh, I'd watch several movies a day. I think E.T. and Time Bandits and <laughs> oh man, just 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 good eight taps, just good 80s movies, you know, 16 candles, all that good stuff. Yeah. And so I'd also go to the state house with her. And even during that time, you know, we would visit um, you know, someone who was like a grandpa to me. Shout out to my my own grandpa, Sam Carson, but Andy Jacobs. Yeah. And uh, sometimes I'd stay at Andy's place, but he'd make he'd make me read the paper in the morning and give him a report, you know. So Andre, what, what do you think about the Iran Contra? I'm like, Iran, can I play with my GI Joes? But it was good for me at the time because Andy was such an avid reader. It it really helped having that kind of exposure. But then at the same time, we had this exposure. But my grandmother lived dead smack in the middle. Of one of the toughest neighborhoods in the state at that time. And so I, I experienced a lot. And of course, my mother and I talk about often, we spent a, a, a stint at the Salvation Army, the shelter downtown. So whenever I drive by there, it reminds, right across the street from the Marauder, it reminds me of that experience. But I, I think what it did for me was it allowed me to see the diversity of the Hoosier state, but it also allowed me to see some of the struggles that we have in society as it relates to homelessness, the homeless population, mental health, crime, criminal justice, seeing people as people. But there are disparities, some of them obviously institutional, but a lot of them relate to a lack of access. And, you know, I, I grew up seeing myself, I had an interest in music, but seeing myself as an entrepreneur, but having this interest in law enforcement as well. 
and wrestling with those things. And and obviously, I I, I had uh, a, a religious conversion uh, at a very young age, in which my grandmother was my biggest advocate. Mother wasn't so happy initially, but my my grandmother was my biggest advocate. And I think it was kind of a reverse psychology from her to not only keep me out of trouble, but I think she she saw that there was a need being met. And I think even that added on to the exposure, my, 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 my global lens. You know, when people always ask about Indiana, there's so much to tell them. And I think that experience really helped my talking points when it comes to our state. But Indiana is a great place. I'm, I, I don't regret the experiences I've had um, to, to, that have made me into who I am. But I always credit, you know, I, I'm thankful to God and I'm thankful that uh, my grandmother was there. And I'm thankful to the village and the community uh, that raised me, that very diverse Hoosier community that, 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 that raised me. Yeah. What was it like being Julia Carson's grandson? I mean, that had to be quite an experience. And how that shaped you just personally, but also ultimately from a political standpoint. Yeah, you know, she was uh, she was Gigi to me. So growing up, you know, obviously she wasn't a congresswoman, but she was in the state house. Yep. I remember when I remember she ran for secretary of state and she lost. And that was the first time I really saw her, you know, devastated. But it really honed her political chops in terms of mobilizing locally. And so I remember uh, in 1984, a gentleman by the name of Jesse Jackson, he was running for president. And I went out to San Francisco with her to the Democratic National Convention. And there was a lady there who was with us, an educator by the name of Pat Brown. And she was on the trip with us. And I found her to be very engaging and smart. She was like an educator, concerned about me and uh, my grades and on the honor roll at the time. And I remembered her. And so when I got to Manual High School, there were students who wanted to have a Black history class taught. And I remembered this lady on the trip, Pat Brown, who later became Dr. Pat Payne of IPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called her and she asked us to get a thousand signatures. She said, baby, if you can get us a thousand signatures, we'll see what we can do. My white friends helped me get the first 500. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at Manual High wow. School. I mean, South Side of Indianapolis, Manual High School. Yeah, uh, I still see some of my buddies out there. They 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 drag race on Madison Avenue, but I don't want to tell anybody right now. <laughs> but I, I still see them occasionally, and, and a lot of them are are Trump supporters, and they tease me all the time. You know, <laughs> they tease me all the time. I, I always tell uh, Pence about that about that. But 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 good people, man, and and and, yeah. and they were curious too. They were curious too. Yeah, and so you know, growing up with my grandmother. And we were able to get the Black history class taught, by the way. And I learned a lesson. It was taught by a a white educator who had a degree in history. So that was a that was a, a teachable moment for me. Well, I, you know, my, my my grandmother, she raised me with a carrot and a stick. She made me pay rent before I could even drive, and I thought it was so unfair at the time. I thought it was so unfair. She she had a property next door. And she didn't have the money to really make the investment in it, but she had tenants. And I would watch her, you know, let them miss like six or seven months of rent. And she was on my case about, about, <laughs> about paying rent. I thought it was so unfair. But as an adult, I, I appreciate uh, the tough love that she gets. And I always knew she loved me dearly, but 
It was it it, it it was a tough kind of love, full of responsibilities, but yet a bit of a, a a bit of a long leash in terms of nurturing my creativity. In fact, she would she would joke with me and my cousin. Uh, we would have our we would have arguments about taxation or this and that. And she was like, "You guys are talking like conservatives." Oh my God, you know, kind of. <laughs> but she would say, "You know what? I, I'm raising you to have your own mind," and I like that. She would always yeah. say, I'm raising you to have your own mind. I love that. Because now people say, well, he's no Julia Carson. And that's okay because she didn't raise me to be like her. Yeah. I mean, we'd, we'd, we'd talk at the table. I was a confidant of hers. And we, we'd have these debates trolling one another because, you know, she had kind of a, a dark sense of humor. But she said, you know what, baby, I'm raising you to have your own mind. And I like that. And so when people say that, it's okay because I'm not her. I'm, I'm Andre. But 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 she was she was a person very intelligent very um, she was uh, she had high EQ and she was able to read the room she was very well read so I think to to come home even as a kid because she's still my grandmother to see a mayor there a prosecutor a governor in the living room in the hood talking to her and a lot of it to me, was grown folks talk, but she'd say, here, go get him something to drink. Go get her something to drink. Wait. So I'm sitting there, but I'm listening to these conversations and through osmosis, these conversations are planting seeds in me to develop my own opinions and thoughts about things and thoughts about how power works and how things work. It's not some movie where, you know, Marlon Brando's talking. It's very informal and things happen very informally. And some decisions that are made may not be fair to some people, but they may be fair to other people. But I realize coalition building is so critically important. No one person can do it on his or her own. It's about relationships and coalition building. And I saw just as many Republicans in that living room and in that kitchen as I did Democrats. And it goes back to my initial point during the program, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you see these robust debates on the House floor on C-SPAN between Dems and Repubs, but afterwards you see them out having drinks or their families were going out or their kids played softball together. So I think we have to get back to a place where we can have these very stark disagreements, but not be disagreeable to the point where we can't find common ground. And I, I, I learned that from her. She taught me to never think you're better than anyone else. She had a she had a strong work ethic, which she which she put in me probably to a fault, but uh, she was deeply sensitive. But she had enough skill um, and enough Machiavellian in her to teach her uh, enemies a lesson when necessary, <laughs> <laughs> but also to raise me to to to, to lead with a more uh, compassionate uh, approach. But it was a different time for her. I mean, she talked yeah. off about. Being a, being a state rep and a state senator, and a lot of people thought that uh, even in a, in a dress and heels, they assumed that uh, she was an intern or she was just there to visit, you know, mm-hmm. even regalia. And so I think that those experiences kind of even shaped her humor. And she led with a lot of humor, uh, though cheeky, but it was effective. You have certainly made your way through the halls of Congress and getting committee assignments and uh, uh, a, an, an increasing profile in, in D.C. What's next? I mean, have you thought uh, about maybe what's next for Andre Carson? 
Well, you know, I'm not someone who's going to be in Congress 80 years like some of my colleagues. I recognize <laughs> that. You know, I want to be here long enough to make an impact and leave it for, the, you know, uh, who, who comes after in the next generation. But I believe in making ma- making an impact. You know, people ask me that all the time. And I say, where, wherever you'll find me, I'm blessed to be living. I want to be somewhere where I'm affecting change. And I know it sounds hokey and corny, but that's the reality for me. And, you know, in terms of Indiana, I still know I'm black, I'm Muslim, and I'm divorced. I know my limitations. <laughs> <laughs> well, other political offices, you, you to- toying, thinking about anything? You know, right now, you know, I'm 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 really committed to um, the committee work. I, it'd be nice to get a gavel one day of a full committee. As I said, I won't be in Congress 80 years like some other folks, but no disrespect to those folks. But the way that, the you know, I give the Republicans credit in the way they set up their system. It allows for people to have opportunities a lot sooner. The downside of that is that you don't maximize institutional knowledge. And, you know, when you serve in a place like this and you look around, you're like, wow, will I ever get a gavel? Will I ever become a chair and be able to utilize my expertise? Will it not depend on, you know, fundraising prowess? And so I think that the reforms that are being made on our side are getting us there. But there's some, I have a deeper appreciation, even though I was raised by baby boomers, I have a deeper appreciation for, as I have it myself, for folks who are baby boomers, who have silver hair, who know, you know, what it means to have plantar fasciitis or sciatica pain, who knows what it's like to think about retirement, who knows what it's like to have lived some decades and who may be a parent, but who have that experience because, you know, we've been able, we, we have a lot of people from different parts of Indiana, as far as two hours away, call our office uh, for help because we have relationships with the State Department. We have relationships with the VA. Uh, we have relationships with uh, the Social Security Administration. It's about relationships. And I think, you know, being in long enough where you have those relationships and and some kind of a competent staff, which we're so blessed to have, a wonderful staff, it helps. It goes a long way. It goes a long way. And in this business, you know, as you know, you've seen a lot of shiny nickels, but when they get in a place like Congress or the State House or the City Council, you got to start producing because after after the sheen has worn off, people are going to want to know about having their their road paved or getting their loved one back into the country or or getting that Social Security check refund. I mean, so those things mean a lot and it comes with relationships and some institutional wisdom. Andre Carson, it has been a real treat to catch up with you. Uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Do appreciate your leadership on behalf of Indianapolis and, uh, and of course, the state of Indiana. What an honor. I finally made the show. So thank you. What an honor. Well, hey, really appreciate it, Andre. And look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks very Likewise, much. Likewise, sir. Bye-bye. And thank you for joining us on this episode of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes, more than 100 episodes, and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to Inside Indiana Business. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.